0: Welcome to North American Egg Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. Our guest today is a well known figure in the commodities and futures markets. He's had extensive experience and expertise in analyzing and providing insights into various commodity markets, including agriculture, energy, and metals. The Hightower Report, under his guidance, has been recognized for its market analysis and research services, catering to traders, investors, and other professionals involved in commodities training. He's traveled the world meeting commodity producers, commodity consumers, foreign government officials, and those who process commodities for the food, for food and industry, um, giving him a broad understanding of all layers of global markets from origination to recycling. Today, we're going to talk about his upcoming presentation to the unconventional ag conference on December 12th on the topic. Key Region Trade Flows, the Impact of Agriculture Activities and Policies in Key Regions Around the World and on U.S. Markets. I would like to welcome founder of the Hightower Report, David Hightower. Welcome, Dave, and thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So can we start just um, by giving us a background, um, your background and how the Hightower Report began?
1: Well, I have a a degree in finance. I started uh, back in the early 80s, uh, working for a uh, greenhouse uh, in their research department. Well, I was in the pit actually for about three months. Uh, I was in the treasury bond pit. Uh, And then I was uh, uh, hired by the research department. I was uh, there to um, bring them onto the computer age to take the data that they had and take it on 40 different markets and uh, so I had to work with um, analysts from all market segments. So I, uh, and some of these guys had uh, and gals had been in the business for forty or fifty years at the time. And so I, uh, I learned from them, you know, what is the data they're giving me, and and it gave me a broad knowledge uh, throughout all markets. And uh, for about ten or fifteen years, that wasn't necessarily that uh, important or helpful. But over the years, the transition has come to where the markets, instead of trading separately, are now beginning to trade uh, in sync and react to each other. So, um, I had a unique uh, global uh, education by a lot of very experienced traders, and i'm I'm fortunate for it, and I'm uh, I'm glad I got to see what's going on in the ground because you had, from production to consumption, uh who knows, at any given time, somewhere in there, it's going to be the element that's driving prices.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and last year at the Unconventional Ag Conference, I saw your keynote. Uh, it was titled, Structural Material Shortages, Historically High Prices and Extreme Volatility are the New Norm. So you warned us that the interest rate would continue rising, that borrowing would become difficult. Now, looking back over the last 12 months, what's your assessment of what's taken place?
1: Well, I hope I'm I'm not right on this, but uh, the uh, we have a thing in the markets that's called uh, bond vigilantism, and uh, in the past, when uh, Greece and Italy, uh, and even in the Asian currency crisis, when countries uh, begin to stretch the bounds of their physical uh, fiscal uh, capabilities uh, and uh, begin to put too much risk in their debt. Uh, It's the job of the market to warn uh, by uh, putting that particular policy under pressure. And I think that's what has uh, sent the interest rates up much uh, higher and faster than what the U.S. Federal Reserve wants to see. Uh, And so they're trying to send a loud message through to uh, Washington uh, that not only can we not uh, continue to extend the debt ceiling, but the way we govern and the uh, and the shutting down of the government and not having the ability to get together on policy is is another reason why they're threatening to downgrade the U.S. So you know our gridlock in Washington and all the bipartisanship it's now about to get into a really serious thing. And even the Joint Chiefs of Staff last week indicated that the biggest threat to the U.S. right now is not militarily; it's the U.S. deficit.
0: Wow. Wow, that, uh, yeah, like you said, I hope hope you're not <laughs> right. Hopefully we can get this cleaned up, right? Right. Uh, and this year that you're going to be speaking on key region trade flows, the impact of agricultural activities and policies in key regions around the world on U.S. markets. So what will you be covering in this presentation this year?
1: Well, I think we'll talk a little bit about currency because uh, the, uh, the the dollar has been so dominant. Um, and that means the purchasing power for a lot of uh, countries, particularly in Southeast Asia, has really been uh, undermined. Uh, and I think that we're at the end of the rate hike cycle and the U.S. has held higher interest rates since before COVID. And now that is starting to narrow a little bit. But also uh, especially in commodities, uh, the growth in demand is going to come from Asia. And so uh, depending on the currency flows, I mean, this is nothing new, uh, but it's going to continue. That's where the marginal demand is going to come from. Uh, and, and, it, and it continues to be stronger than what people anticipated.
0: So what major trends do you foresee in commodities for 2024 and beyond? And how are they going to impact the North American farmer?
1: Well, I think that uh, we're going to see more strategic supply building and maybe countries like China will not be as uh, willing to uh, utilize those strategic supplies just for uh, achieving lower pricing. Um, Just as we see in the strategic petroleum reserve in the US, we occasionally take oil out, we put oil back in uh, but I think the COVID supply chain situation is going to probably make more commodities held up within the marketing channel instead of uh, moving in and out, so to speak. And, you know, the grain market and the uh, grain certificates and, and uh, ETF holdings, all these things have a ripple effect uh, downstream. And so I don't think that uh, there's going to be as much um, uh, movement both ways. So the grain will flow one direction and that's the way it'll stay.
0: Right. and And, as you know, the geopolitical events are it's it's a lot of chaos around the world. So, how are these current events, the global economic conditions, impacting agriculture activities throughout the world and consequently commodity prices?
1: Well, the uh, the uh, trade tensions between the u s. and China has absolutely resulted in them uh, buying from South America as much as possible. And we have just seen the signs in the last several weeks that uh, trade is normalizing between the US and China, uh, perhaps because the South American supply is starting to run a little low uh, as they're at the end of last year's crop cycle. Uh, but there's also today, I noticed that uh, Boeing may be restarting its uh, 737 MAX sales to China. And, uh, it, you know, we did see a lot of buying of US grain in the last two weeks. So I think. Uh, that the Chinese economy and President Xi in particular, I think they're a little bit in trouble. Um, the uh, the economy uh, has really slowed down. It's not showing signs of coming back. Uh, the public's un- got a little unrest going because they kept the isolation around a little bit too long. And they had these uh, protests uh, that really uh, China has never allowed that to happen before. Uh, so they had a little broader. And so the people, I think, got a little um, confidence from that. And uh, as the economy dragging on and not recovering, it really is starting to erode uh, the power of uh, President Xi. And also this week, President Xi and uh, President Biden will meet uh, in uh, California. So, uh, they're, you know, it's improving there. Uh, trade relations with the rest of Southeast Asia are very good. Uh, and it, you have to realize that, that uh, seven, eight hundred million people uh, that are down in that uh, Vietnam, the Philippines, Indonesia, all those areas are a quite significant population and they're all very young. Um, and if you go to uh, Hanoi or to Singapore or wherever you see the intensity of uh, people on the street um, and it's it's starkly, starkly different than here. Uh, especially in some of these cities with the uh, post-COVID with people working at home. It's uh, it's really a contrast in the business districts of these two areas.
0: Uh, great points. And given your previous keynote on the structural material sh- shortages, how do you anticipate these shortages evolving? Are we out of it? What implications might we be seeing on ag operations? Um and what are we seeing now in terms of supply chain efficiency?
1: Well, I think you're going to uh, you're going to still see some residual costs from the high energy price. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that uh, that prices are so cheap uh, that uh, we're we're near a low. Uh, and that will uh, you know, that'll probably result in all these users having forward supply. So the demand uh, may stay weak uh, through the middle part of next year. So I'm, uh, unfortunately for the producers, uh, the prices are vulnerable, even though they're extremely cheap levels now.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And how do you see the current interest rate environment affecting ag financing?
1: Um, well, I, uh, I have to have a qualification that I'm, uh, I've been extremely bearish and I have uh, huge investments and positions. Uh, uh, betting on uh, interest rates uh, continuing to go a lot higher.
0: Wow. Um,
1: and uh, I th- I think we've already seen a little bit of uh, the uh, rates and financing go higher, um, but unfortunately I think it might go a lot higher than we realize. We have this uh, strange historic relationship in the marketplace now where it doesn't cost more money to borrow money for 30 years than it does for five years. And uh, when you learn in your uh, finance and and, uh, other classes that the interest rates are determined by the term structure. So you add up all the risks of the time frame uh, and it should just be more risky to to borrow money for that period of time. And so that yield curve is out of whack. And so even though the Fed is uh, trying to put a damper on rates going up, the, uh, the rates of finance that are going to be paid for operating loans and other things are probably going to continue to rise. So you, you better watch your costs this year.
0: Right. So what advice do you give in addition to that to farmers in in managing their financial um, portfolio or their purchasing decisions in the next, in the next well, I mean, year? You, you know, you
1: have to try and uh, maintain your input costs. Uh, natural gas uh, and fertilizer uh, should have been coming down a lot more than it has, but it'll probably continue to come down uh, as soon as we see that the winter. Uh, so I would not be I would not be buying my fertilizer and other natural gas related products yet. Uh, but as soon as uh, we find that we can walk through the northern hemisphere winter without a severe shortage, then I think the fertilizer companies are going to have to give in and uh, begin to lower those uh, prices. But uh, I also think this is one of those years in which early in the year, we could flirt with the cost of production. Mm -hmm. So uh, farmers need to employ hedging uh, strategies using options. And I think bankers with these higher interest rates are gonna become a little bit more uh, forceful when it comes to hedging these positions because the outlay to plant a crop is massive. Uh, and right now the revenues are are not massive. So it's, uh, you know, it's one of those years where you have to have a leap of faith where you plant and uh, maybe you're not going to make much money at that level. So uh, secure, uh, secure your uh, input costs if you can. And secondly, uh, you need to make sure that the hedging you do does not get in the way of higher prices. Um, and there are to like selling futures and some other things, fixing the basis those are the kind of things that can eliminate you from seeing price gains. And so uh, this is a year in which, uh, believe it or not, we're so low in the range, but still put options are probably, I think, the best strategy.
0: Great advice. And Europe and the U.S. have been seeing incredible advance- advances in ag tech. How are advances in technology influencing agriculture and what role do you see techn- technology playing in shaping the future of farming and commodity pricing?
1: Well, I think we've already seen a huge impact with uh, the seed technology, obviously. uh, The corn market was way out in front with the uh, developments of uh, drought resistance, insect resistance, disease, um, uh, dryness, uh, all these elements. uh, They uh, really did an outstanding job on on, uh, shaping that. Um, And you know what, it never would have happened. Uh, If we had not had ethanol in the equation uh, for the farmers and uh, the corn to be worth more, uh, to be able to go out and spend that uh, money on on technology and research and development. And now we're seeing the same thing with the soybeans in which the biodiesel, we're now going into jet fuel and so forth and so i think you can probably continue to see uh, advances made with in terms of yield and and disease resistance uh just because the uh, the the energy markets are going to keep prices maybe higher than they would be without the biofuel
0: yeah that makes sense and there's a, a lot of government policy coming down that is um maybe not in you know the farmer's favor i think um We can agree, especially coming from California and some of that regulation is trying to move eastward. So how do current and proposed government policies, you know, like subsidies, environmental regulations, how are they impacting the ag sector and how should producers prepare for those potential changes?
1: Well, I would say that uh, it, it's going to be more onerous. I mean, yeah. uh, you, you're you're uh, uh, depending on who's elected. Um, <laughs> and we we may have both top running candidates in jail uh, by the time we get to the election, <laughs> yeah. which is going to create its own uncertainty. But you know, given how the thirty-four to thirty-six trillion dollar deficit, um, it, it, you know to expect any kind of subsidies and other uh, protection. Um, I, I don't see that coming and I've you know, every farmer knows from the EPA side of the equation uh, th- this is a really scary thing uh, from my perspective is that the, the uh, employees at the EPA uh, make de- make policy decisions. Uh, it has nothing to do with the people that are elected for a living. It's kind of the personal choices of uh, people that are in those departments. And so uh, that we've seen a lot of very difficult uh, things that have come out that's forced on the farmers uh, that uh, I think that's going to continue. I think it's going to get worse. You have to uh, plan on it to get uh, it's not going to help the bottom line.
0: That's right. And I think producers need to embrace that. They got to have a voice in this, too. Right. We can
1: Mm
0: -hmm. being only two percent of the population is a is a huge problem.
1: Well, and you know, a, a lot of other industries, particularly the oil sector, mm-hmm. uh, they do a good job of uh, getting high prices, uh, meaning they they take advantage of when they do have uh, high prices to sell. And, you know, uh, producers, farmers are going to have to learn that they need to do that instead of ha- encountering that moment of greed where they think it can go higher. You know, when you're offered really good rates of return, you have to really start to bank them because we're in a period of uh, uh, really high uh, input costs. And, uh, you know, so you have to have high prices at the end of the year. You can't just wait, put it in the bin and hope uh, it's going to get higher next year. It's uh, And with interest rates, I think interest rates could double from here.
0: Wow. Really?
1: Yeah. Well, well you know, I've been in the business 40 years <laughs> and, uh, you know, these rates are abnormal. These are not normal rates, and we're at the bottom quartile or distribution that we have. So uh, an unprecedented borrowing, QE2, um, I mean, we really don't know in the U.S. within $2 trillion what our deficit actually is.
0: Right. And so on a positive side, are there any emerging markets or opportunities in the ag sector that farmers should keep an eye on for potential growth or diversification?
1: Well, I mean, you always have uh you always have Southeast Asia, you still have China, you still have India that are in the midst of an upward revamping of their diets. Uh, the uh, prosperity is going up, you know, uh, wages in China. you know they used to have such a massive competitive edge, uh, but now you're you're starting to see uh, that middle class develop a little bit, and we we forget. Uh, the the size of China, you know, and you have a slight increase in their middle class. It really matters. And then look all the way down through Southeast Asia, and you also find out a lot of young, young countries with a lot of uh, a lot of uh, energy and so forth. So I think the regular consumption demand. You're going to see the old areas, Europe and the U.S. Maybe the per capita slow down there, but just the sheer numbers. Uh, they're more important in, in Southeast Asia than anywhere. And so I think that's uh, one thing. And I also think, uh, you, you know, the oil markets are large and the grain markets are small. And so when you talk about, uh, you know, we only have 10% uh, of ethanol in a gallon of gas in most cases. Uh, and uh, the, the oil markets every day are like uh, 90 uh, million barrels per day of oil consumption. Uh, so just a little bit of a change in how much biofuel is required from corn and soybeans, it, it's a massive thing. And and uh, we can't begin to be a, a full replacement for some amount of oil that's lost. And uh, so, you know, the, the world uh, um, aviation business, uh, I think it's this week that we're starting some, uh, we have the authorization to begin some biodiesel use in airplanes. Right. Uh and so you know, what that does is that gives us maybe a higher floor in prices than we would have otherwise.
0: Yeah, that's great. And uh, I one last question for you: uh, Why do you do this? What are you passionate about in in your work?
1: Um, well, I like the fact that uh, every day brings a uh, a new story, and uh, the story's hidden sometimes, and uh, the the way the world is, uh, it is uh, tied together and the ripple effects that it has. Uh, I, I start at four o'clock in the morning. I mean, I'm typing at four o'clock central time. Um, I'm looking around to the entire world to find out what is going on. And I've uh, developed uh, one of the most widely read uh, wires because a lot of professional traders know that I'll take the time to dig through uh, all the nuances that happened overnight. Um, and sometimes, if you're really not experienced, you're not even going to know. Uh, you're not going to know the difference of between a headline and something that's really important.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's, it's really fascinating. And then, where can people find um, the Hightower Report? Where can they sign up?
1: Google Hightower Report. It'll be on the top yeah. list, I'm pretty sure. So. Uh, High Tower Port is um, uh, about thirty-four years in the business, and we've done a lot of. Uh, we do. Uh, we're a research department for a lot of uh, clearing firms and brokerage houses, um, right. so that also gives us input.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. That's a, a lot of information, and it's quick and easy to digest. So. I guess we all put our seatbelts on or keep them on
1: exactly <laughs> for the next little while.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks to all who are watching or listening as well. If you want to learn more, the links are provided in the show notes. If you haven't yet registered for the Unconventional Ag Conference to see David's full presentation and the rest of the speaker lineup in person, head on over to unconventionalag.com. Don't forget to subscribe to North American Ag Spotlight on YouTube, Rumble, or Telegram channels. And the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked the episode, I'd love it if you shared it. Have a great day. Did you know that at NorthAmericanAg.com, we are committed to providing valuable resources for farms and agribusiness? Find your next podcast in the Best of Ag podcast library. Delve into our on-demand webinar series, check out the latest in ag news, or treat yourself to a new hoodie or tee from our swag shop. Head over to our subscribe page to join our community and be the first to know about what's happening in the industry. North American Ag provides daily ag news and weekly podcasts covering ag tech, ag policy, new products, family, and faith. North American Ag gives farm families and ag professionals insight into what's happening in agriculture throughout North America. Ditch the mainstream media. Join North American Ag. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach, and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy, you can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m., to register for this webinar, go to northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar. That's northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar to register now.